It was Nelson Mandela that said, as long as poverty, injustice, and gross inequality persist in our world, none of us can truly rest. Unfortunately, at some level, this is a reality in most of our churches today and in our culture. It goes deep and actually begins in the playground. Find out what that means in today's A Critical Faith podcast with Pastor Sue Collar from First Presbyterian Church. Here now is Pastor Sue. Genesis 2 has a mixed history. It talks about the creation of men and women and how God has made them for each other, how men and women come together in marriage and become one. It's a wonderful scripture, but it's also been used to support the idea that men should have authority over women. For after all, doesn't the story say that the man was made first? and that the woman was just made to be his helper. It is true that the story tells about the creation of the first man and woman. But here's your Hebrew lesson for the day. In the original Hebrew, just prior to when God took the rib from that first human being to create the female human being, Eve, the human being had no gender. It simply meant human. It wasn't until after the rib was taken from that first human being that we hear for the first time the words for man and woman. And so what we have here in this story is the creation of two equal beings. They have come upon this world at the same time and they have come together as one. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the human should be alone. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the human, and he slept. Then God took one of the human's ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the human, God made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in Galatians 3, Paul speaks of law. Law serves a purpose of separating people. And faith in Christ brings us together into one beloved community. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Author Aaron Waithen tells a story about being at a playground and a group of small boys just having a blast, screaming their heads off, making noises that would set your teeth on edge. And one of the dads of the boys started approaching them, and you could hear him yelling out from the distance. It's like, hey, boys, stop that. 
which would have been fine if he'd stopped right there. But then he went on to say, are you boys or are you little girls? Waithin said it worked. They stopped their shrieking banshee efforts on a dime. All it took was that simple question, are you boys or are you girls? We cringe at that question, or, or at least I hope we cringe at that question. There is an implication that being a boy is good, being a girl, not so much. This is not a new idea. There was an ancient Jewish prayer that dates back sometime around the second century that goes like this. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has created me a man and not a woman. We listen to that today with our 21st century ears, and, and of course we're saying that's ridiculous. Women are every bit as capable as men, they are every bit as smart as men, every bit as able as men, they are wise. I mean, there is no difference between men and women. Such a prayer is just outrageous to our ears today. And yet, if we are to be honest, even today women are not valued as much as men. Just ask the woman who is uh, in an appliance store asking questions about a new appliance and the salesperson hears her, but in answering the question, looks at her husband instead. Just ask any woman who's been told she is bossy when a man would have been told he's assertive. Even in the church, we still have mostly small churches who resign themselves to hiring a woman pastor because, and I quote, it's all we can afford. Women are certainly not valued. We're talking about equality today. But not equality in the sense that everyone should have access to the same rights and same opportunities. That's a, a functional understanding of equality and very important, don't get me wrong. But when we talk about equality as a faith value, we're talking about recognizing the intrinsic worth and dignity of every human being. When that father shamed those boys by asking them, are you boys or are you little girls? He not only taught them that little girls don't have dignity, they don't have value, they don't have worth, he taught them that girls were beneath them. He was laying a groundwork in those boys, a foundation for a lifetime of devaluing women. He would probably never admit this, but he was also tarnishing their ability to value themselves. What if one of those boys was a boy who wasn't comfortable in his own skin? What if one of them liked to play with dolls? What if his daughter overheard him? What would his daughter have learned about herself in her father's eyes? For everyone who has ever felt like they have no value, for anyone who has ever felt ashamed of who they are, for anyone who's ever felt like they had to hide something intrinsic to who they are, or had to pretend to be someone they are not. You know, a boy who wants to be a girl. A woman who had to push herself aside to play by the rules the boys wrote. Know that you are loved. You are valuable. You are worthy of dignity. In fact, you aren't even worthy of dignity. You have dignity 
because you were created by the God who made you in God's own image and looked at you and said, this is good. It is unfortunate that our own scriptures are often used to devalue women even today. The creation story from Genesis 2 about woman being created out of man to be a helper for him has often been used in the church to resign women to subservient roles. Seriously, I mean, what do you think of when you hear the word helper? They're not in charge. They're the assistant. They're secondary. Add to that the blame that has been put on Eve for supposedly causing our fall from grace. It's no wonder that men have prayed, thank God you did not make me a woman. But let me tell you what that scripture really says. The word for helper in Hebrew literally means a strength corresponding to him. In fact, that word is almost always used not in reference to human beings, but in reference to God, who was the rescuer, the strength, and the might used on behalf of human beings. The woman is being described as God is often described in Scripture, as a mighty being equal to man and created in the image of God. One was not better than the other. One was not more important than the other. They were of the same flesh and the same bone. God simply wanted to make someone with equal strength so that they could be true partners in life and in the world. From the very first stories in Scripture, we are told we have dignity, we have value, we have worth. We've taught that boys have dignity, boys have value. We haven't really taught that girls do. We've taught that White people have dignity and value. We haven't really taught that black people do. We've taught that able-bodied people have dignity and value. We haven't so much taught that differently abled people also have dignity and value. I see, I think half of Jesus' mission on earth was simply to remind us of that, who we are, that we are loved, we are valued by God, and that we do have dignity. We have a mighty strength that was given to us in our very creation and has never been taken away. When Jesus met that woman accused of adultery, you know, the one where everybody else wanted him to pronounce her guilty so they could stone her to death, Jesus did not shame her for the choices she made or was forced to make. He saw what was going on. He recognized her power had been taken away from her, and he set her free and gave her agency to go sin no more. When Jesus called his first disciples, he didn't look among the learned scholars of Jewish faith for those who understood God and what the prophets said the Messiah would be about. No, he went and found four smelly fishermen that everybody else in society scoffed at and wanted to keep at arm's length. But there was no one more perfect than them to follow Jesus Christ. When a woman washed his feet with expensive perfume, you remember this story. What did everybody say? What a waste of money. But Jesus interrupted them, and he saw a woman with dignity, and he lifted her up and celebrated her. And we still celebrate her 2,000 years later. Children, ever hear the phrase that children should be seen and not heard? The disciples kind of bought into that. Remember that time when her mothers were trying to bring their children to Jesus to bless them? And the disciples said, he's too busy for kids? And Jesus says, wait a minute, bring them on. He saw their value and their dignity. When we talk of equality as one of our core faith values, 
we're really talking about celebrating the God-given dignity that each one of us has imprinted on our DNA. Living out what that value means can be a challenge in this world. We have to do all that is within our power to see that nobody squashes that spark of, of divine dignity that we have been given. But we're up against people like that father on the playground who uses the shame of being a girl to keep boys in line. So if we want to live in a world where people find strength in their own dignity and treat others with dignity, we have to start teaching that on the playground. We can't wait till they're in confirmation class or in high school or adults. We have to start when they're still on that playground. Erin Wathan in her book, More Than Words, Ten Values for the Modern Family, suggests that the first thing in teaching our children to value others and value themselves is to stop telling them in subtle and not-so-subtle ways that a girl is the worst thing they could possibly be. And stop telling girls that being a girl is a limitation, that she can only succeed in certain fields, or she can only succeed when she puts part of her personality aside Words matter. We may not think that they really are that important, but words lay that foundation for what we will believe our whole life unless something comes in and changes those words. So we need to help our kids learn a different language. If they're struggling to do well in the sport, don't tell them they throw like a girl. Give them pointers about what's actually going on so they can improve themselves. If they are really struggling in a, um, in a class, don't tell them, well, isn't it a shame you can't do as well as so-and-so? Find out what they're wrestling with. But model for our kids ways of dealing with frustration, ways of dealing with uh, limits and boundaries. Wathan reminds us that giving kids the language to empower themselves, not at the expense of others, is an important part of helping them understand the full personhood of all people. We need to model what it looks like to treat others with dignity and respect, which means we need to pay attention how we receive that homeless person who's asking for money, how we receive that cop who's pulled us over for speeding, how we have received the benefactor who opens doors for us. We need our kids to see that we treat each one equally with respect, and dignity and kindness. Because if they see us doing that, then they're going to start doing that as well. We also need to teach our kids not to sell themselves short. Because a lot of our kids question their own worth. Wathan's daughter played on a co-ed basketball team and uh, she was a tall, talented girl. And she would get the ball a lot but she would always pass it off to this other kid who just kept yelling out, pass the ball to me. And finally one day her coach pulled her aside and said, you don't have to pass the ball just because a boy told you to pass the ball. You can do this. And we need to model that for our kids. When we talk of equality as one of our core faith values, it means we don't look at anyone, including ourselves, as being less than the fearfully and wonderfully made person that God has made. You know, amazing things start to happen when we celebrate the dignity and worth of every person. Conflict goes down. Cooperation goes up. Spirits are lighter. More is accomplished.
Because if I celebrate in you and you celebrate in me our dignity, our strength that was given by God, then we're not going to be at each other's throats. We may be attacking a problem together, but we're not going to be attacking each other. In that very first moment when we were created, God says, I am going to make everyone equal. If we can claim that for ourselves and celebrate that in each other, nothing's impossible. That's what we need to be teaching our kids. Thank you for joining us today for this week's A Critical Faith podcast. To discover more about who we are and what we're about and how you can engage with us in worship and action, join us on Facebook at First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln.